Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created the show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference, and it starts with love, love from the hip. Culture can be defined as the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively, or the customs, beliefs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. Yet a woman who is restricted because of her gender due to cultural oppression would seem quite contrary to any advancement of any human, nation, people, or social group. Of course, not all cultures include the oppression of women, but culture should never be accepted as an excuse for the oppression of women. Cultural oppression of women can take many forms and can include everyday sexual harassment at work, to being forced against one's will to marry in regards to religion, as well as being shamed, ridiculed, and abused. There are varying degrees, and the problem exists in many societies, with some worse than others. Even here in the West, it is a problem, so much so it gave rise to the Me Too movement. From the dawn of time, women have been unfairly oppressed by culture and religion. They have been left out of politics, property ownership, medicine, law, and just basic human rights. Their reproductive functions of childbirth, menstruation, breastfeeding, and pregnancy have been seen as disgusting. They have been blamed for their beauty, overpowering and taking advantage of men, causing adultery, and even accused of bringing about their own rape. Hence why many women have been forced to be draped and covered from head to toe to not be a temptation. They have been accused of witchery for their knowledge of medicine and outcasted from the church for having prophetic visions or claiming to communicate with God, angels, or anything divine, as that was only to be with men, and more so, men of the cloth. Some believe the oppression of women rose with the rise of a class society, with the concept of property having led to the oppression of women, while in the Marxist view, the oppression of women is a creation of culture. Unfortunately, even with the advancements of societies all over the world, the outlook and regards given to women as a whole have largely remained unchanged and unsophisticated. And sadly, violence against women still occurs daily. It is patriarchy which sustains this role in violence. Several countries witness this, but for many like India, for example, the evidence isn't always so obvious and occurs behind closed doors, closed family doors. In 2018, it had been reported that 42% of girls in India had been sexually abused. Many girls are taught to be afraid of their bodies. Many told they are not supposed to exist, which means if girls do not have bodies, sexual molestation is not possible. And if it does actually occur, it has to be denied. And if it cannot be denied, the girl is to blame. This culture of violence wears on a woman's sense of self. And women who constantly have their sense of self beaten down not only become more codependent and weak, but also this behavior only breeds more fear and more violence, which is why also in 2018, over 50% of Indian men and women still believed women deserved a beating. Unfortunately, oppression oftentimes gets recasted as a virtue and becomes sanctified, welcomed, glorified, as well as accepted by so many cultures around the world and the families within them. In 1979, the UN General Assembly adopted the most important human rights treaty for women, the CEDAW, or the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women. This convention not only defines any discrimination against women, but also provides the basis for realizing equality between women and men through ensuring women's equal access to and equal opportunities in political and public life, including the right to vote and to stand for election, as well as education, health, and employment. The Convention is the only human rights treaty which affirms the reproductive rights of women and targets culture and tradition as influential forces shaping gender roles and family relations. Several countries have signed the CEDAW, including India in 1980 and Saudi Arabia in 2001. Some countries have not, which include Iran, Somalia, Sudan, and Tonga. CEDAW has helped foster the adoption of domestic violence laws in Turkey, Nepal, South Africa, and the Republic of Korea, 
a law on gender equality in Mongolia, and more. There are currently 189 countries who are part of the treaty, with 23 independent experts on the CEDAW committee from around the world. CEDAW is just one step in the right direction for the elimination against discrimination against women and subsequent cultural oppression. Culture, a word that once was used to describe the love, spirit, unity, and tradition of a people, has now become a powerful instigator of violence within our families. But women's rights are human rights, and there should be no room for culture in that discussion. Today on Love from the Hip, I have the pleasure of having Maitreyi Meliana on my show. Maitreyi is a holistic psychotherapist, author, and sound healer. She will not only share her powerful story of her own experience with cultural oppression and overcoming the trauma of it, but also she will offer wisdom to other women. Plus, later on the show, she will share her inner child sound healing with all of you. So don't go anywhere. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R. Taking care of your body's largest organ can be difficult, but not for Astera Skincare Mist. This topical skin spray supports your skin's own natural healing defenses. Astera Skincare Mist is a light misting spray, free of parabens, alcohol, toxins, and fragrance. This all-natural topical skin spray will take the woe out of your skincare worries without clogging your pores. Irritation, inflammation, redness, post-procedure sensitivities, no problem. With Astera Skincare Mist, you can continue about your day without the skin dismay. Acne, rosacea, psoriasis, sunburns, rashes, and fungus? Don't let these skin concerns inconvenience you. Instead, let Astera Skincare Mist allow you to be happy in the skin you're in. Available at Sakura Skin and Mind. Learn more at asteracare.com. That's E-S-T-H-E-R-A care.com. The veil is a line between physical and non-physical realities, between spirit and matter. Listen in to Go Beyond the Veil, an exciting new show every second Wednesday of each month from 2 to 3 p.m. In this engaging and informational jam-packed radio hour, hosts Sakura Sutter and Rory Reich interview folks who make a living crossing the veil, assisting others on their journeys of healing and self-discovery. Drawing from their own experiences, Sakura and Rory have come to realize how challenging it can be to understand it all. So they will ask the hard questions to not only reveal more truths and clarity, but in an effort to make spiritual sense. They hope by offering you, the listener, a resource where science meets spirituality that you too can finally put your skepticism to rest once and for all. So join them as they go beyond the veil. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip. That's HYP, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having Maitreyi Meliana on my show. Maitreyi is a holistic psychotherapist, author, and sound healer. Hi, Maitreyi. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Sakura. It's great to be here with you. <laughs> So where are you joining us from? I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, nice. Yeah. So no snow for you. No, fortunately. <laughs> yes, we are done with that, hopefully, for the rest of the year. Good. <laughs> well, oh, good. maybe maybe the beginning of the spring anyway. So you have such a beautiful name. I wanted to ask you what it means. Oh, thank you. Um, so Maitre, the root is Mitra, which is the sun. And Maitre is a woman's sage in... Um, 
the ancient Indian texts. Hmm, so very fitting for you. <laughs> and so how long have you been working with Awakening Women? I've been working with women since I became a psychotherapist in 2006. First um, in psychotherapy, and then that work has expanded to women's groups. Okay. And so I know I, I, I actually have your book, and it's, it's quite amazing. Um, it's very heartbreaking and, and very inspirational story, uh, Brown Skin Girl. Um, I was wondering if you could give us a brief tale of what happened to you um, in your story. Sure. Yeah, so my family uh, immigrated to the U.S. when I was 16, and I went to college and then on to graduate school. And, you know, when I came here, I fell in love with American freedom. There was there were all kinds of opportunities that I wanted for myself, like choosing my own major, following a, a path of study that I wanted to do as well as choosing my own husband. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I fell in love with an American man when I was in graduate school. I was 22 at the time. And we had been together for about a year and a half. And my parents found out when I was visiting them once that summer. And they found out because I'd sent a letter to my boyfriend at the time. And instantly there was a family intervention and the very next day, I was on a plane with my mother back to India. What they told me was, if I went back for three months, they, pos they po positioned it as a test. Mm. And if I went back for three months, then they would allow me to be with him. And I was still very much in the whole cultural mindset of my parents needed to give me permission. Plus, I was just taken by surprise. And But once I got there... They said I was never returning and put me under house arrest for a year. Hmm. I wasn't allowed to leave. There was no phone, mail. There were guards outside the house. Um, and there was no internet at the time. And women, an unmarried woman in India, especially in that time, has no rights. The family has the right over her. Hmm. So even if I went to the police, they would have just brought me right back. And if I tried to escape, which I couldn't because they took my passport and wallet and everything, <clears throat> um, I would have been raped. Mm. So it was actually safer to be in house arrest. Um, but that was the most traumatic year of my life. Uh, yeah. So you're a prisoner in your own home? Yes, in my grandparents' home. Oh, your grandparents. Okay. And you had mentioned to me earlier that even a Swami... Mm -hmm. uh, was consulted. Then can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So my mother took me to the family Swami um, and the words she literally used, he will be able to purify you. Mm. Because the most horrendous thing that I had done in her eyes was have sex before marriage. Um, so she took me to him and he asked that I travel with him for six weeks and I, at that point, was, you know, drawn to the philosophy and six weeks traveling and not being in house arrest seemed like heaven <laughs> to right. me. Um, but my mother didn't go. It was just me. And he was a huge Swami. Um, he is kind of like the Billy Graham, um, that kind of magnitude in terms of capacity of crowds and what he's, his power is. And for six weeks, it was unending spiritual um, public shaming, public mm -hmm. humiliation. Um, and I, at first, I could withstand it, but at some point, it got to be so bad. And there was even a, a, an inappropriate touch from him. Mm -hmm. um, and at some point in there, I, something broke, something snapped in me. Um, and that was, I could have withstood my family's treatment of me, but when my, my experience of sexuality was positioned as God thinks I'm, I'm bad and what I've done is bad, I had no argument against that because I was not very religious <laughs> and I didn't know much about religion, but the shaming um, and the religious shaming you know, that's a whole other thing that it does, because how can you argue against God? 
um, if you're told that in the eyes of God, you're bad for having done this thing, there's no way to go. Right. And it sounds like also just being a girl, you're shamed for that. You're just shamed for your sex in India. You're just shamed for everything. Yeah. Right from the time you're born, you know, it's your second, you're inferior to men. Hmm. And so how did you escape or did you escape? What, what happened? So after a year, they let me out and um, I taught in a girl's school and I just wanted to find a way to make a living so I could leave my family even if I had to stay in India. So I, uh, you know, studied software, computer science, and tried, was trying to, you know, move towards getting a job. Meanwhile, my family was trying to get me married to, mm-hmm. through an arranged marriage. Now, the one freedom they gave me was the freedom to say no to a prospective groom, which, honestly, I was very grateful for. I turned down two, and um, the third proposal was a man in the US. So I had been trying to save up money for a ticket for my work. And that would have taken many years. But here I was being offered a ticket to come to to be with this man, um, or to meet this man. So I flew to New York. And then en route, I, I, I didn't take the second leg to my parents, I just left to a different town in Indiana with a friend. Mm-hmm. And this friend then became? <laughs> then became my husband. Okay. And why did you choose to marry him? So I'll give you a little bit of context. I, the, the, the woman who returned to the U.S. was not the woman who went back to India. Mm-hmm. After that year of house arrest, um. I was so traumatized. I had no idea. I didn't even know what trauma was, but I was numb. I was dissociated. Um, I, I was terrified. And I felt like a hunted animal. Um, there's, it's, it's horrible to be abducted by a stranger, but when you're abducted by your own family, yeah, I can't every imagine. sense of trust gets broken. You don't you can't recognize whom you can trust and whom you can't trust. That capacity for discernment gets scrambled, as it were. Um, I was very grateful for any kind of assistance. Um, this friend and I, you know, we we had worked together, and um, he said, "I'll give you a place to stay for a while." Well, till you find your feet. And I was grateful for that. I was working. I was waitressing. I was going back to school. And he wanted to get a green card. And I had had, I had a green card at the time. <clears throat> and he asked me to marry him for, because he wanted the green card. And I said, we don't really need to get married. But he started getting angry. And my emotional state was that when anybody got angry with me, I froze. I became numb and Mm. it just, I literally froze. So I said, okay, Uh, without even thinking it through, without, it was, it wasn't even, I couldn't even think marriage. It was just, okay, I need to just do something so he won't be angry with me. That was my emotional condition. Um, So. Yeah. And then he brought you back. So you kind of then you, you left your culture and the oppression with it. And then you seem to remarry back into it. Is that correct? Right. You, Because you right. guys ended up back in India. We traveled back and forth. We stayed in the U.S. for several years. Um, and then um, he, we traveled back and forth. We were software consultants. And mm-hmm. work just took us to different places. And divorce is frowned upon in your country and in your culture. So how did you come to do that? What was the catalyst? What was the final straw? The final straw was his physical abuse of me. It had been emotionally abusive from the start, um, but there was a physical abusive incident where he tried to strangle me. And at that point, fortunately, we were in the U.S. And fortunately, I had been so miserable that I finally was able to question it and say something's really wrong here. Because I had thought about divorce over the years, but felt that I was locked into the whole Indian cultural mindset of a woman, once she's married, she's supposed to stay married. Right. 
And so were your parents also trying to find you at this time? Um, They had found me. They had found me a few months after I escaped. Um, And we sort of reconnected. Um, My ex-husband at the time, you know, spoke up for me. So I was very grateful for his protection. Um, But they didn't understand at all any of what I'd experienced. They didn't understand what the problem was. They didn't even see it as Mm. a problem. And they weren't in the house with you when you were under house arrest, correct? Correct. And they didn't see you, they didn't Mm -hmm. see you shamed by the Swami either. They did not. And I was too ashamed to even talk about it. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, who am I, this little 22 year old girl, girl who knows nothing about religion? Who am I to question this world-renowned Swami who draws hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah. And so this book, Brown Skin Girl, who did you write this book for? I wrote this book primarily for Indian women because I really wished when I was in school becoming a psychotherapist, which I did after divorcing my ex-husband, I wished I had known about trauma. I wished I had known about even emotional abuse. I wished I had known so many things. And I realized I knew so many of my Indian sisters don't know. We're not psychologically aware. Psychology is a field of the West. So uh, there's a lot of ignorance. And in the name of culture, in the name of social tradition, in the name of religion, as you said so eloquently in the beginning, so much abuse and mental illness gets to take place without any repercussions. And women are shamed for speaking up, for saying that this shouldn't even be so. So it's a double bind that we put in. And you took a big risk stepping up to write this book. Have you been shamed by your family for this book? I don't know. You don't know. They don't know yet. Oh, they don't know yet. Okay. So what was the hardest part about writing this book then for you? The hardest part for me was um, I was terrified of bringing shame to my family. Even though I've changed their names um, and descriptions and all of that, there was just something about coming out so publicly because I have everything on the page. I did not hold back. It, it, there was something, it was just a huge step for me to, to come out to, into the world and say, this happened. Um, yeah. yeah. And through the book, were you able to forgive your family? I was. I was. Ultimately, I did. Um, I didn't imagine that I could or ever would. But... I'm just so grateful for my healing journey and healing process that it did lead me to get to that place. And was it hard for them to accept what you do for a living now? They, no, they actually are happy that I became a psychotherapist. They don't understand women's empowerment. They don't know what it is. They don't know why it needs to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, So they don't really understand much of my work. Now, have you forgiven your culture? Um, for, I have, I don't know if forgiven is the right word. Um, there's so much wrong with mm-hmm. our culture, with my culture. Um, that's kind of like saying, you know, do you forgive trauma or patriarchy? No. Um, there's a lot of beauty and wisdom in my culture, but there's also so much that's terribly wrong. Um, so I work to correct what's not working and what people aren't aware of and aren't educated about. Um, so I, it's, it's, I understand, I understand, but I don't um, accept and I refuse to let it continue. Yeah. And it gave you a newfound outlook on it, essentially. It did. Yes. Wow. But you still identify with it, with aspects of it. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
for sure. Yeah, I know there's so much I love about India. I'm very Indian and I'm also very not Indian. And it's, I think being an immigrant, we kind of dance between different cultures and have the luxury of taking what we enjoy and love from different ones. So I know that you outlined this in your book, but I want to go back to when you first came to New York, right? And, and, and your first found freedom here in our country. How did that feel? And what did you experience? And how did you explore that freedom right away? Um, well, my ex-husband and I, we, he had gotten admission to a graduate school. So that's the, I went back to school. I got a job and I went back to school. That was, that to me, that was my, my freedom was to get an education and be financially secure and, you know, take care of myself in that way. And did he ever frown upon that or? No, he was, he was very supportive of that. And, uh, yeah, no, there was no problem there. And did he ever see an issue with the oppression of women in the culture? We didn't really talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think it was just one of those things where it's it's so part of who you are that you don't choose to question it. We were still in the fishbowl. Yeah, exactly. When you're in it, you're in it. Yeah. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick break, but everyone stick around for the Weekly Skinny up next. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to discuss sagging or crepey skin. Sagging skin is caused by a loss of collagen and elastin in addition to a loss of fat. Collagen provides the structural framework for the skin and helps keep it firm, while the elastin is a protein with highly elastic properties, which allows the skin to stretch and bounce back much like a rubber band, keeping the skin tight. Fat cells, as we all know, fill space and provides plumpness. As we age, all three of these tend to diminish in the face. Let's debunk some myths about skin sagging. Does running cause sagging? While the bouncing up and down while you're jogging would seem to cause damage to collagen, this is actually not the case. If anything is causing damage to collagen while you are running, it is the sun exposure while running that is doing so. Extended time outdoors with UV exposure can break down the collagen over time, so it is imperative to wear sunscreen as well as antioxidants. What about sleeping on your stomach? Does that cause the skin to sag? Turns out your sleep position will cause sleep wrinkles, from the pillow tugging at the delicate skin while you sleep. Of course, in our younger years, the skin just bounced right back in the morning. Unfortunately, this is not the case in our older years. Some things to prevent the wrinkles and fine lines would be to not only sleep on your back, but also to try satin pillowcases. What about doing facial exercises? Do these help with skin sagging? While facial exercises will increase the size of facial muscles and in turn help with the slacking skin, frequency of these movements will lend to more wrinkles and fine lines. Does weight loss cause skin sagging? Yes, when you gain weight, the skin will stretch to accommodate the new weight. When you lose weight, because of the lack of elasticity as we age, the skin will not bounce back. This is where the use of injectable fillers can help or the use of a topical bioavailable vitamin A. Lastly, does rubbing skin products on in an upward motion prevent sagging? As an esthetician who has rubbed people's skin repeatedly day after day in facials, the skin cannot tell whether I'm rubbing the collagen and elastin fibers up or down. Both of these directions help to stimulate oxygen and blood flow to the skin. Also, the downward motions that I apply on the skin I use to help stimulate lymph drainage, which helps to drain fluid retention in the face. The best way to address sagging skin at home is with the use of a bioavailable topical vitamin A, which stops the sag from the inside out. It helps increase collagen production and in turn thickens the skin while minimizing wrinkles and slowing down the aging process. Microneedling or medical needling is one of the best professional treatments to help stimulate not only collagen, but also elastin. And we are born with way less elastin. Doing microneedling or medical needling coupled with chemical peels while using a topical bioavailable vitamin A, like that from Environ, is a great regimen to combat sagging or crepey skin. 
If you would like to start stimulating more collagen and elastin are interested in trying microneedling, then email me at sakura at sakuraskinandmind.com. Peach fuzz is great. If it's on a peach, let Sakura Skin and Mind remove unsightly hair with dermaplaning. Although its primary purpose is to remove layers of dead skin, it's just one of the added benefits leaving your skin baby smooth, safe, effective, fast and affordable. What a concept! Sakura Skin and Mind wants you to look your very best, and dermaplaning is just one tool in their chest. Find out about dermaplaning at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A, skinandmind.com. We bring out the healthy skin and healthy way of thinking you didn't know you had. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget, next Wednesday is another The Conscious Coaching Hour, and our topic is grief. So if you have a question for the show, write in beforehand at Facebook Messenger for Love from the Hip. That's H-Y-P. Today on Love from the Hip, I have the great pleasure of having Maitreya Meliane on my show. Maitreya is a holistic psychotherapist, author, and sound healer. So before the break, we were talking about your book, Brown Skin Girl. And I was wondering, how long did it take you to write this, this book? So it took me nine months to write the book. It literally just poured out of me. But the story didn't finish till about 10 years later. Oh, wow. So and it took s- a lot of revising. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. And, and so, sitting. It did, I didn't work on it the whole time. But Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so what were some of the things that were happening, good and bad, while you were writing this book? Well, the great thing is, was I was going through my own healing process. And I was in graduate school studying to become a psychotherapist. So I was in this wonderful environment of healing and transformation. And I needed a lot of it. Um, so it was a deep dive into both my own healing and learning about healing and working with others. Um, that was a wonderful thing. Um, I found love again. Mm. Um, so that was a very, very beautiful thing that happened. And um, I also got Lyme disease. Mm. And that led to deeper healing. So... A lot of things happened. And what do you suppose was the spiritual or emotional reason behind that? For for Lyme disease, it was that I wasn't in my power as a woman. Hmm. I did a personal exercise to see what the cause, the root cause was. And it was very interesting to realize, yes, there's a virus and all of that. But the deeper cause was that I wasn't in my power. So once I got that, I went after healing and coming into my power um, and with full force. And um, I was able to heal um, through spiritual healing, energy and spiritual healing in a year, year and a half. And so you, you no longer have Lyme disease. Correct. Well, it goes dormant. That's right. what happens. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty incredible. And I know a lot of people struggle with that. So. Mm-hmm. And so I would imagine that one of the other maybe issues that you had in finishing your story was forgiveness for your family, um, your parents, and then also did you have a sibling as well? Yes. Um, I had a brother, and he sexually abused me as a girl for about three, three and a half years. Mm. Um, So that was another piece that needed healing. Um, And yes, the forgiveness took a long time. So, you know, 10 years later, it was, it took all that time to even get close to it and be open to forgiving. But that was a huge, huge freedom that I experienced um, once I did that, because then the past didn't have any hold over me. Right, right. And they no longer had any power over you. Correct. Yes. So what what would be a, a couple steps that you would recommend for others to take in having to forgive their family? Um, well, first, I, I never um, push it. Um, I think it's really important to feel all the feelings of, of pain, of grief, of loss, of anger, um, to have all those feelings um, and to not force the issue. I think forgiveness can be, is often an act of grace because it's really opening the heart. And um, when someone's ready to forgive, to, I would suggest to seek a higher power, to ask for a high, 
guidance or help from a higher power, whatever that is. Maybe Mother Earth, it may be whomever is sacred to you. Um, because that kind of assistance can really, really help. Yeah, make it a lot faster too. Yes. So when, and also when you're forgiving them, you're not necessarily excusing what they did, right? Absolutely not. You never excuse what they did. Um, but what you're letting go of is, and I th- what you open to is an understanding that of what they knew at the time and their perspective of the whole situation or the whole experience. And there's a huge amount of disappointment that comes uh, that we have to grieve that a parent or whomever hurt us. Um, that's, that that's what they were capable of because it's, it's an act of violence, right? Right. So, um, it's, it takes a, to be able to hold that in your heart as opposed to your mind. Um, forgiveness is a process of the heart. And so I just really invite people to um, open their hearts first to themselves, always to themselves. It's not condone. It's not saying that what happened was okay. But it's seeing the person for who they were and what they were capable of um, and with a, with a parent or with family, it's often a fall in our eyes, mm-hmm. right? We might see somebody as an authority or somebody as we look up to, um, or have that childlike, oh, this person must know more because they're a parent. Uh, but then if there's an acceptance of, oh, wow, they, they really, this is what, this is where they were. Mm-hmm. So it's a fall from a, off a pedestal as it were. Right, right. Well, you've done a lot of healing. So it's it's really commendable. Thank you. Um, you. So what are some ways in which other women who are oppressed by their culture or religion can take back their power? Yeah. Um, One of the ways I recommend is to really question the stories that you're told as a woman about being a woman, about who you are, your identity, what you can have, what you can do, what you're capable of. Because these stories that we get, whether it's through family messages or cultural or social um, conditioning or religious um, conditioning, they're all stories. And we can question them. Often as children, we just soak them in as, as the absolute truth. But when something doesn't feel good, something's wrong. And it's important to question um, by yourself and with other women. Right. Create those groups. Yes. Yeah. So can you go a little bit deeper into your concepts as as far as Kali power and patriarchy detox? Yeah. So Kali is an Indian goddess of power. She's a powerful goddess. She's a fierce goddess. Um, And women, we need models, we need mythology, we need archetypes of powerful beings. So I've used the goddess Kali because she has, she is fearless and she's beyond fearless. She destroys what isn't working uh, and she breaks down what isn't working for the higher good. So she's unstoppable. And I use her as a as a model for women to claim some of those qualities because we often stop ourselves or we silence ourselves or we we don't really know what feminine power is we're afraid of our power um, so to have a spiritual or a sacred figure say that this is it's okay to mm-hmm. be a warrior it's okay to uh, say no, to set boundaries, to follow your heart, to to break the rules, um, you know, to question. Um, so it's it's great to have a, it's almost an archetypal permission to to break the stories or change the stories that we've been indoctrinated with. Hmm, I love that. 
And patriarchy detox is literally a detox from patriarchy because we have trauma, right? But trauma would not happen. The cause for trauma is patriarchy. That's the deeper underlying cause for trauma because patriarchy violates, denies, dismisses, and negates the feminine. Hmm. Whether it's a woman's body, her mind, her capacity, her freedom, her sexuality. So on so many levels, we are, we are living in a patriarchal web. It's as though we are in the web of patriarchy. And this, these messages and stories live in us. They live in our minds. Even if we think we're conscious or progressive or liberated, they still live in our cells. Yeah. Um, so many women um, don't question or we hit those ceilings and those walls. So it's really important to really know what, what story are we living? Mm-hmm. And what are you carrying And when around? we do that, we can change it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, with that, we're going to take another break, but everyone stick around for more Love from the Hip. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R.com. Your skin is your body's largest organ. Care for it properly, starting with your face. Sakura Skin and Mind offers several clinical facial treatments to help stimulate collagen production, eliminate toxins, boost circulation, and deeply cleanse. See a new you in your mirror. Clinical facials range from $90 and up. Do your face a favor. Sakura Skin and Mind, erasing wrinkles, one clinical facial at a time. Learn more, sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U. URASkinandmind.com. Did you know that there's power in the number three? Not only is it the number that our brains remember best, it's also the triad, as it contains a beginning, a middle, and an end. So it represents wholeness. What better way to absorb information than from the power of three? Coaches Sakura Sutter, Rory Reich, and Brenda Reese on the Conscious Coaching Hour. This brand new live show airs the fourth Wednesday of every month from 2 to 3 p.m. These three intuitive and transformational coaches will reveal their own life experiences, share candid conversations, and offer up advice using their individual spiritual gifts, intuition, and intellect to help you overcome the challenges you may be facing in life. No matter where you are, the Conscious Coaching Hour will meet you there and shed light on the things that matter most to help awaken your intuition and inner coach and to help you live your best life welcome back to love from the hip on this glorious sunny day i'm spiritual hypnotherapist master esthetician and your host sakura sutter if you are just joining us today i have the great pleasure of having maitreyi meliana on my show maitreyi is a holistic psychotherapist author and sound healer and so now maitreyi is going to share with us a mini sound healing today So I would recommend to refrain from driving or operating any heavy machinery if you would like to partake. Is there anything else that they should know? No, I think that's perfect. Exactly what you said. Perfect. So we'll get started.
your voice. It's incredible. Thank you for sharing that with all of us. You're welcome. And and what was the healing in that? That's um, inner child healing. Yeah, we all need that. Mm-hmm. So when did you come to incorporate sound healing in your practice? I started in about 2014. And um, I started using bowls with clients and found it was just so extraordinary. And the, the healing work just was exponentially quicker. And, and I understand also that you incorporate sometimes piano. Yes, Is that correct? I channel, <laughs> yes, I channel music on the piano. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing. Yes. I've never heard that before. <laughs> and so why did you choose to bring in all of the sound healing? And how has it changed your, your practice and your healing? Yeah, so I'm a classical pianist. That was what I was studying when I was in graduate school. Mm. And um, I couldn't play after being taken back to India. I could literally could not play the piano anymore. I couldn't feel. Um, so as part of my healing, when I was, when I was a psychotherapist, uh, I had several spiritual healing experiences where I received the guidance that sound healing was a, going to be a big part of my work and to explore it. Wow, that's amazing. And so I, I wanted to ask you, after everything you've been through, what, what do you hope for the future of women? I hope that women can really come into all that they are in terms of their voice, their power, their sexuality, their ability to love themselves and to have a very strong and secure sense of self and to open to their intuition and their sacredness of who they are. And why do you think that we as women have accepted to be treated so poorly and unfairly? Patriarchy. Mm. And so we're forced into it. That's right. It's so insidious that even women will treat women that way. And when was the last time, I wanted to ask you, when, when was the last time you were back in India? I went back 2014, 2015, something like that. And had things changed for women dramatically since the last time you were there as a young girl? Yeah, things have changed a lot <laughs> since the internet. Things have changed hugely. And it's so amazing and so wonderful to see uh, the freedoms that young women have. And I would imagine also more stepping more into also line of work that they never did before. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I also wanted to ask you, I imagine that in in going through the journey that you did, um, you would have had to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. Was I that did. something that you did? I did. I had to forgive myself for going back to India that, that time, which <laughs> <laughs> changed my life. <laughs> and is there anything else that you had to forgive yourself for? For marrying my ex-husband. You know, it's just... It's, I think it's hard when we have, when we make mistakes, it's, we go, what was I thinking? Yeah. Uh, but I think we just really need to understand we were who we were at that time and in those moments. And it's all of who you are now, right? Exactly. So knowing what you know now, I mean, would you go through all of that again? No. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, no. So I want to ask you really quickly where you hope to grow from here. I hope to really grow my work, um, which is to empower women, to help women heal from trauma and patriarchy and to connect with their sacredness. I really want to build my work to reach more women. Yeah. And especially women that I would imagine have similar story to yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how can my listeners learn more about you and your book? So they can find me on my website, which is uh, my first name, M-Y-T-R-A-E dot com. And my book is Brown Skin Girl, and it's on Amazon and other book retailers. So they can find me there. Wonderful. Well, I really appreciate you being here today, sharing your, your story, just being vulnerable, sharing your sound healing and your beautiful voice. Thank you so much, Sakura. It's been such a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. And thank you to Eric, my brilliant producer, KKNW, and my new affiliate, KBKW, the talk of Grace Harbor, and you, the listener. You can find me at sakurasutter.com. Really love the show. Don't be shy. Drop me a line at sakura at lovefromthehip.com. 
And tune in next week for another Love from the Hip presents the Conscious Coaching Hour, where we will discuss grief. Stay kind out there, stay true to you, and don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare ya. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck realize their self-impairing beliefs and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y. R-E-I-C-H dot com.